Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Merry Christmas, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here and welcome to episode 211 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I am here as always to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to go on the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for tuning in to the podcast this week. Now this podcast is proudly sponsored by Alta. Alta is a get-you-out-dry, get-you-out-warm accessories brand. At the minute, the changing rope is their main item, and it's the go-to product for you if you want to get out dry on the trails. And when you come back to get changed, you can heat up quickly and keep your butt off the car parks which I hear a lot of people complaining about. That's mountain bikers for you. But I'm pleased to say that Alta is sponsoring this episode, so go check them out at ridealta.com. Now, in this week's episode, it is my pleasure to welcome Connor Campbell on the show. Now, Connor has been involved in the mountain bike racing since the early days, 25-plus years. He has worked, raced, played with the likes of Glenn O'Brien, Michael Cowan, and he's owned his own bike store, was a stable in the downhill, cyclocross and enduro race scenes. He is now a specialised ambassador and a qualified Wardell cycle coach. Really it's just a good old chat about the early days, how Connor got involved in the MTB scene, what it was like working for Chain Reaction, he worked there for a couple of years, why he decided to open his own bike store and why he eventually decided to close doors. Not always easy that game for sure. You know we chat about how Connor fell into the coaching side of things and his ambassadorship role came about with Specialised Dublin. We also chat about the racing and what it was like back in the day and we find out some stories about what him, Glenn and the rest of the crew got up to around those times. So it's a good old podcast. It was a great chat with Connor. So without further ado, let's get Connor on the podcast. You put your feet up, chill out, relax. It's Christmas Take it easy. The weather's probably terrible outside, so you don't need to think about going out on your bike or anything. <laughs> so just take it easy and enjoy the podcast. Hi, Connor. How you doing? Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. How's things with you this evening, dude? Great, Gareth. Thanks for having me on. Thanks very much. How are we you? Are, yeah, I'm good here. I'm good. Can't complain. I'm out of the wind and I'm out of the rain, so it's, uh, it's not bad at all. It could be a much worse scenario. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, here I was up in Belfast yesterday and not out of my own free will, it's not summer I tend to hang around, but the rain up there was unbelievable. It was crazy yesterday. It's wild, isn't it? It's deadly. That place floods. I you know, I know it's a pretty old city and all, but you see the pavements and all there in the roads, even yeah. if it isn't raining and you go up there after it's been raining, you're going to get soaked because the yeah, traffic yeah. come by you just <laughs> That's right. So there was floods under one of the bridges. We went up to the train station there with the girls to see the Harry Potter uh, nine and three quarters thing a couple of weeks ago. And right. were, the, the water was coming up around the, the bridge and everything. So it was uh, interesting. Nuts, man. Nuts. Uh, well, here, thanks for coming on the show, bro. It's going to be good to chat to you. And I know you have like almost 25 years of bike and race experience. So I'm sure, well, I hope you have some cool stories for us about certain people and things <laughs> i hope so yeah yeah i certainly <laughs> hope so <laughs> cool man cool but you know you've seen i suppose quite a big change in the industry over the years um and you're you're based in Uri, aren't you 
Yeah, yeah. Well, Warren Point. I live in Warren Point, but um, I had the I had the shop there in Newry for uh, fourteen or just just on over fourteen years. Right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Green bikes. We'll get into that. I want to chat to you a wee bit about that, if you don't mind. Not uh, at all. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. Like that's a good spot to be, right? You're kind of between the yeah. north and the south. Like you've got a, a good caption area there of trails and stuff. Yeah, we're pretty spoiled with. Kilbrony on the doorstep of Donard, Tullymore, and then Ravensdale over the border. We're we're pretty lucky here now. Yeah, wow, wow. Like, tell me a little bit about your background. What age did you get into mountain biking? Uh, I was, yeah, I was thinking about this. Um, I think I was eighteen. Um, I had been driving for a while and realised I was getting lazy and was going to try and get fit. And just by chance, I think I saw. Uh, a mountain bike race in Eurosport or something, whatever, tweaked right, my wow. interest. Um, I took my dad's Peugeot out and <laughs> went up the mountain and uh, just had a bit of a spin about. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I enjoyed it enough to ask a friend to come out. And the following week, we went up to uh, Clockmore Stone and came down there and I milled myself straight <laughs> straight into, <laughs> straight on at a corner and completely milled myself. And uh, But I stuck at it, so... Here we are. Um, Happy days. Like, what was that old Peugeot bike like? Uh, well, this was it rigid? No, yeah, fully rigid. Even the first, the first one I bought for myself was fully rigid, actually. Um, but uh, you didn't know any better at the time, you know. Yeah. You, you you saw what they were doing on on Eurosport and uh, just thought, yeah, pointer down there and uh, we'll give it a go. Um, so it got me into it. That's the main thing. And uh, myself and my buddy ended up buying bikes and um, getting into it uh, pretty well. And uh, you know, you don't know what you're doing, but then you find out there's races and things. And mm. um, like, I was not a natural racer. Um, I think my teenage years spent skateboarding and drinking cider didn't really set me up to to launch a career from. <laughs> from the word go I think it was last in my first couple of races but again I stuck at it there was just something about it I just really loved it and uh, couldn't get enough of it really got into it you know aye aye cool it is a, it's a crazy game I was at the gap there not so long ago and yeah, uh, oh yeah class and I'd actually just come off a clatter and I was standing at the side of the trail <laughs> chatting to Kat and um there was two guys come down on old school bikes. Yeah. And the first thing I noticed was the really narrow handlebars. <laughs> yeah. You know, and these guys are clattering down and I'm like, and you know, they're the chrome kind of ones, you know, the ones like the old chrome and they're coming flying down and they're handling these things great. And I'm just like, wow, like fair play to those fellas. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, oh. um, one of the first races I did, uh, was what was known as the Tour of Ulster. It was like a, a three-day race with the cross-country. Um, I think that was Moran Park. And then there was a downhill, which was down Leitrim Lodge, mm-hmm. if you know it. It's pretty much like a rough fire road. And yeah. we were there was only a few people had full suspension bikes. And uh, I remember taking off uh, on the fully rigid bike. And one of the things that struck me was that the grips were actually twisting on the bars. <laughs> That's, you know, there was no lock on grips. And I remember, yeah. you know, you're holding on. Not only is the bike flailing all over the place, but the grips are sliding about on the bars as well. So 
it was about survival more than anything in those days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what was the scene like back then? You know, was it like you know? It's funny because we don't have all the kind of channels we have now. We don't have the internet. You know, it was was it all magazines and stuff back then? Like, how did you keep up with stuff? How did you keep interested in the thing? Yeah, it's it's mad when you say that. I, I'm trying to think how you even found out about races in those days. Like, I would say going into um, probably when I started going into the cyclery, um, Miles McCarry had a shop in Lurgan and then opened one in Newry. And through that, you kind of hear then, you know, it's like a word of mouth thing. There was no, mm. I don't think there was even a magazine in those days. Um, could be wrong. I know uh, there was a magazine called Uberdog came out a few years later. Um, but mm-hmm. I, like I remember, I think Money Scalp was the first race I ever did. And driving out the road, I think my dad had to tell me where Money Scalp was. And I was driving out the road going, how am I going to find this? And the, the road was lined with cars, you know. So it was, even then, I was shocked at how many people did this sport, you know. Yeah. Um, and by no means was it what it is today uh, definitely not but it was it was amazing to see how many people were there and the bikes you know some of the bikes were stunning even then you know yeah i think i remember that uber dog magazine what had that about everything on it like a bit yeah. of surf about yeah i remember that man <clears throat> excuse me yeah yeah but but it was like a an outdoor magazine but yeah there was a bit of downhill and a bit of surfing and um, a few other things in it yeah that's right yeah yeah that's right because i remember reading a, i think it was a big sandboarding article yeah. in it or something you know it, it was like that wasn't it it was like a whole yeah, lifestyle or, or something yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah class man uh here that that's nuts that uh yeah because i think we sold that in drugs at that time that's, really yeah Nearly yeah, sure yeah. we did. Yeah, cool. And then you got into the racing. So how did you kind of get into that? Did you know, was it something you were just you just casually get into and then decided to get more more focused on it? How did that all happen? Yeah, it's it's funny. I like as I said, I was last by miles. I mean, I showed up at the first race in Money Scalp in cut off army trousers and flat pedals and got the shock of my life. Um and I think Partly because I was 18, I had sort of straight into the seniors, you know, so there was no, right. uh, I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to do juniors or anything, but I probably would have been the same story anyway. But I got the shock of my life. But um, I just kind of, I asked then at that one where, where the next race was. And uh, I believe there was a race in Kilbrony and then one in Moran Park. Um, and I happened to be in the park one day and um, a friend of my dad's, uh, who was big in the local road club saw me on the bike and said oh i didn't know you were into cycling and so on he said you should come out with the club and that's pretty much how i got into road cycling and i joined Mm -hmm. Newry wheelers and you you know i was getting a bit of advice then from um from noel that guy noel mckinley um was a great help at the very start he got me into training essentially and then i think over the winter, I was out on club runs and still doing a bit of mountain biking. They did a bit of mountain biking too in the winter. And there used to be a, a race series then, like a spring cross-country league in Bangor. Um, um, I think it was Castle Park. 
whether we BMX track was. And they used to do a few races that I remember cracking the top 10, you know, on one of those. And I was sort of going, right, I'm doing something right here. Um, you know, I've gone from last mm-hmm. uh, last year to sort of getting into this, you know. So the, the road definitely helped. And then it just progressed from there. You know, I met... Um, uh, you've had Maeve Baxter on the mm-hmm. uh, on the. I met her brother Liam, who was a couple of years younger than me, but he uh, had been racing for a while, uh, and he joined Nuri Wheelers at the same time. And uh, so I was taking him to races, and then through that, you know, we were meeting other people and getting into it. And mm-hmm. uh, May Maeve started not long after that, um, yeah. and. It's uh yeah, it's a bit of a blur from there, but <laughs> Aye. There, there was yeah, there was downhill and there was cross country and so on, but yeah. Um, yeah, and you have medals and lots of those things as well. <laughs> uh, a few of them, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Them. I've, I've tried them all, and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was always a bit of a a magpie. Uh, I would be happily doing cross country, and then got to go on a downhill bike and the next thing I was racing downhill for a year and then I would get a, a notion and do cyclocross and <laughs> it has kind of continued in that way I've, I've always liked changing it up and yeah. I just love I love all the bikes I, I like uh, mountain biking is definitely number one but I've, I've always just liked all the bikes now I have to say yeah cool cool uh, but it's interesting there what you say about the club you know because when I have guests on the show are quite often ask them how's the best way for somebody to get into the sport you know if they're new to it and they're not in yeah. they don't have racing buddies and stuff like that but it's interesting that you know the club thing we always chat about it and that seems to be still quite a big thing that you know if you want to meet more people and go on more rides and have that more social side of it you need to kind of well you don't need to but it's a good idea to be a member of a club so it's interesting that you went that way as well yeah, absolutely. Only four of them, you know. Um, I don't know where I would have ended up, but um, they were, yeah, predominantly a road club, but still, you know, it got me got me into it. And um, like, I suppose now you can find a club, even if it's an online club that's just meeting up, you know, at a weekend. They might not even be a um, official club as such, but, you know, you, you can find people fairly easily. And even in the shop, people used to ask me, and I would say, well, you know, what, what sort of riding are you trying to do and um, try and guide them. You know, there's local groups there, not the Sunday run would be quite cross country. And But, you know, there's all all manner of clubs there now that mm-hmm. you can get stuck into. Um, so it, it is like it's certainly a lot easier to get into now, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And then when you get into the racing scene, Connor, like, who were you racing with? Were you with Roscoe and Michael Cowan and Glenn and all those guys, were you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose early on, I, I was quite cross country focused for a good few years, um, and uh, I'm trying to think when I started downhill. But um, yeah, I remember meeting Michael and Dale and chatting to Glenn at a couple of races, and another name from the past, Davy O'Hara. I remember that, and mm-hmm. uh, Honcho, all those boys. Um, I think again. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, trying to think when I first. I think Money Scalp again was the first downhill race they used to do the the Winter League. Um, I remember actually road racing on a Saturday, and then going to a downhill race on the Sunday. <laughs> um, 
that was yeah those were the keen days now <laughs> yeah yeah um, and i had i remember distinctly having uh, a giant atx i think it was and it was the cheapest one and it had v brakes and i remember ogling the the bikes that glenn and some of the boys had with disc brakes and um but again you know it, it was great crack and i just kind of I, I, I did get into the downhill a bit at that time it was kind of a a side note but a few years later um i ended up working in chain reaction for a couple of years mm-hmm. and i uh, got pretty friendly with michael and dale and michelle well michelle wasn't working there but um dale's wife now um ended up traveling to a lot of races with those guys and they were pretty downhill focused so just kind of ended up that way you know you were kind of hanging out with those guys and ended up um being encouraged to do a bit more downhill and and ended up going over to a couple of Scottish nationals and even British nationals with them, which was a a great experience, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So it did like a couple of years, I sort of gave the downhill a bit of a go, but I always, I always preferred the the fitness side, if you know what I mean. I liked being out on the bike and the downhill and I really enjoyed it, but I didn't like, starting and uplift queues and you know you're maybe only getting if you get 10 runs in a weekend at a race you know um mm-hmm. where i i suppose that's where enduro came in you know it was sort of a combination of both um so yeah that was a that was great when it came along but yeah um, yeah but this was mainly before those enduro days oh long before that yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. like you mentioned chain reaction there um and, and michael and the guys like what was chain reaction like then it was a lot smaller than it is now obviously but uh, they still the wee store and was it doke then at that time uh it was in ballyclare at that time so it was um it was still pretty big like for a bike shop um because mm. it was like it was still a warehouse um I would say there was about 30 employees when I was there and they were starting to build the first unit in Doak when I left. So that's how quickly it was kind of snowballing for them, you know? Um, Yeah. So, uh, but it was great. Like it was great experience. I had been working uh, in the building trade because that's what my dad did. um, And that's what I did at, uh, school and tech so um it was great i was <laughs> i was delighted to move into chain reaction because it was something <laughs> i was so interested in you know yeah um so yeah it was uh good times actually i uh, what was your job role there what were you doing oh i started as uh, a picker in the, the warehouse basically an order would come through and you'd go and pick the stuff and put it in a basket um mm-hmm. and then I eventually got to be um, in telesales. Um, they were only kind of getting into the internet thing even then. It's, it's hard to believe. You're sort of thinking uh-huh. it doesn't feel that long ago. But yeah, it was, so it was a lot of telesales um, when I was there. And we were only starting to kind of answer emails and things, which is hilarious to think about. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. But, you know, it would be interesting to see how many people have actually came through chain reaction and have went on to do their own thing you know what i mean uh, oh yeah absolutely absolutely like it has fed the industry quite a lot that way you know um and you know par 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 to the guys like definitely oh absolutely uh, yeah yeah 
Have you any good stories for uh, about Glenn for us? Glenn's a good friend of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Glenn, when I opened the shop, it was actually when I left Chain Reaction, that's what I had decided to do, basically. I was going to open the shop in Uri. Um, myself and my girlfriend had decided that we, we wanted to move back to... Um, she's now my wife, I should say. Um, <laughs> move back to Restraver. Right. And I, I was going to open a shop... And my first employee was Glenn, which if really, I, yeah, yeah. Oh my so, God, uh, what what age were you guys then? Uh, what was I? I think I was twenty eight or twenty nine when I opened the shop. Um, something like that, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, much much crack was had. I have to say, now there was it was fairly um, fairly quiet on a few days. I remember a few. Uh, games we used to do to uh, occupy ourselves we had a radio controlled car at one stage <laughs> and we used to race each other uh, time times around the shop and then there was we you could actually ride a bike inside the shop on the in the first shop we had even though it was the smallest one we ever had you could ride a bike around in a lap of the shop so there used Jeez. to be all sorts of crack and there was counters wiped out and everything trying to trying to beat each other <laughs> on the shop lap <laughs> Trust Glenn, man. Even when even when he's working, he's racing, huh? That's it. That is it. He, he is a competitive man, shall we say politely? <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Classic. Yeah, they were they were good times as well. Uh, no, it was class. Like those are, I really loved those times in the shop because it was it was doing great, but it wasn't sort of consuming. If you know what I mean, it was only yes. getting going, and like. We still have, I still have a hand-drawn uh, poster I did on the door when the the downhill champs were in Kilbrony. We actually closed on the Saturday to go down to practice and everything. And I just put, like, put a hand-written sign on the door, gone to the downhill champs. Sorry, we're closed today. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, and I still have the, you know, that that's the way it was. We were kind of, yeah, the shop was important, but um, we still wanted to ride our bikes. I here I remember doing the same thing in drugs when the surf was good. We would just put a sign on the door, closed, gone surfing. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> How times have changed. Excuse me. Yes, you don't do that these days. There'd be somebody <laughs> writing about you on Facebook saying these people weren't open. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, crazy. I, that's unbelievable that Glenn worked there. You don't know the story of how Glenn was in prison over in Spain or Italy or somewhere, do you? I don't. Well, <laughs> I couldn't recite it, but I'm sure we discussed it. And I'm sure <laughs> there was a few. There was a few nights the two of us weren't good for each other when there was um, a few beers on the on the go. Now where we were oh, uh, a lethal combination. <laughs> and uh, still to this day, I would claim the worst hangover I've ever had was from the first Revolution staff do. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> so we're serious times now. <laughs> yeah, for sure, Rod, for sure. That's class. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, green bikes then. So you decided to open a store. Like, why did you Why did you want to do that? You know, was it just the love of the thing? or? Yeah, I definitely was initially you know um like i had no business uh, experience whatsoever um some people would say i still don't have a lot uh, but um yeah i think um 
I just kind of wanted to do my own thing. I'd been in Chain Reaction, and as much as I liked it, I kind of, well, first of all, as I said, we, we wanted to move uh, back home. Both me and my wife are from mm-hmm. Warren Point originally, and that was part of it. And I just kind of wanted to give it a go. Um, it, and it was very casual at the start, like really laid back casual, I have to say. But it actually went really well. Like the first few years were amazing. Um, because there wasn't a lot of internet and things, it was like a core shop. You know, mm-hmm. everybody knew, everybody who raced knew and would have come to us from far and wide. I think we had a good reputation. Um, and we were doing like, we were doing Kona and then we were doing Iron Horse when they were big. Um, yeah. so, so those were great years. Now there was a lot of Iron Horse Sundays sold through Revolution. Um, lots of them, lots of them. So uh, mm-hmm. they were some good years. Now it was shocked how quickly it kind of took off. Um, and then we started started the moves. There was a lot of moves. My God, I'm still, mm-hmm. oh, still were you, about them. Initially, were you called Revolution? Bike? Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, until we got an email one day saying um, we were infringing on somebody's. Uh, I'll not say too much. There was a shop somewhere else uh, right, had, yeah, a, okay. had a, a bike brand called revolution and we were apparently infringing on their uh, their name their trademark so right. it was a chance um, to to change it and yeah that's we had moved to green bank in newry at the time and i said right green bikes and that's how green bikes came about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and why were you moving was it just an expansion thing were you getting bigger yeah, yeah, it uh, it really it took off, um, and we moved to a much bigger unit. Um, not an ideal location, but I think it was such a good unit; it was hard to pass up. Like loads of room, and it had its own parking um, in an industrial estate. And mm-hmm. like those, those were our best years. That uh, we took, we had specialised actually. Then that's when we started doing specialised as well. I think the second year we were in business and. Yeah, because Iron Horse, uh, as you know, kind of folded. So, but only a couple of years with those guys, and then uh, but specialised. I tortured them uh, <laughs> uh, because uh, they they kept telling me they were happy enough with uh, McConbys and uh, Sickly Sport and money more, and I tortured their MD until he basically came over and met me and uh, talked them into it. So mm-hmm. it was great. Yeah, it was it was good because we were kind of more focused on the mountain bikes um, and at the time and certainly now I'd say McConbys and Sickly Sport were more road so mm-hmm. I don't think we really stood on too many toes it was it was good good for everybody I hope yeah 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 it's like I'm sure I'm sure it opened your eyes a bit to the industry and stuff like that was there anything that surprised you after opening the store about the industry or just like some kind of insider stuff or uh, yeah, like it's just um, I think once you start um, and you you get into that sort of frame of mind of we must keep growing, you know, it must continue. It must you, you can get into that very very quickly mm-hmm. and get yourself into a place where you're sitting on hundreds of thousand pounds worth worth of stock and you know when it's going well that's fine, but sometimes when you're sitting in January, you're looking around, going, 
what have we done, you know, and we had yeah. moved into, into a bigger place and taken on a lot of stock and um, slowly but surely the internet was kind of coming and taking over, to be honest, you know, um, like we could see it. And mm-hmm. Yes, people still wanted to come and sit on the bikes and see the bikes and we were doing bike fits and everything at the time as well. So it, it was still going well, but you could definitely see and then the emergence of um, some of the online brands like YT and things that was a that was a big shock to the system now. Yeah, yeah. When did you close the store, Connor? Hey, oh God, should have looked at these things, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just over two years ago now, 2019. Oh, really? Yeah, August 2019. Oh. So it was. Um, fact, it was a funny one. We kind of we could have kept going. There was a couple of. We moved again, and I'll take the blame for that one. Like it was, I sort of thought if we moved closer to the town into a more prominent area, would be seen more and all. Um, but it was much higher rent, much higher rates, mm-hmm. and um, more staff. And um, you know, it it was going well, but it just it was getting to the point where people were. You were nearly like a, a shop to try stuff on before they bought it on the internet, which is awful to say, but I'm sure you've worked in a shop, haven't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that just seemed to be getting more and more. And not only that, there was an awful lot of guys. It was sort of a phase where people were doing repairs from home. Mm. And when you're paying rent and rates, you're obviously having to charge more for repairs. And so it's hard to compete with somebody working from home and then you're competing with online brands um which are offering cheaper bikes so it it was yeah it was it was a struggle and to be honest like it kind of took the joy out of it for me a bit um and as i say we could have kept going but i could just see it was coming you know it was more and more like people were coming in i'll tell you one story i didn't i don't want to get into this too much because yeah (laughs) it's it's um It can come across wrong, but um, like there's people coming in. There was one guy came in one day and like took an hour of my time trying on shoes and everything. And you said, okay, that's the ones you need. And he went, okay, thanks. And off he went. And I was like, oh my goodness, right. Mm-hmm. Two days later, he came in with shoes he had bought online in the wrong size, even though he had spent the time with me and asked me to change them. Oh my word. And then when I explained I couldn't, he didn't understand why and you know, not only didn't understand why, he gave me a bit of abuse for not helping him. Yeah. And, you know, you're going, like, I'm getting nothing out of this transaction. You know, you've taken a lot of my time. You've given the money to somewhere else. And he, it, it just wasn't getting through, you know, and mm. that was one of many. And it just, for what I was getting out of it at the time, from what it had been, it was very hard to swallow that, you know. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just made the decision rather than letting it dwindle. I made the decision to close up and sell up, and uh, I am glad I did because I got out of it relatively well. Rather than I know a lot of shops throughout the country didn't, you know, they really went out with a bang. So. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's funny because you say you closed in two thousand nineteen, and you're almost thinking. You just missed the massive craziness. 
Uh, well, obviously, you know, I was working in a in a shop in Dundalk uh, since, so mm-hmm. I saw the craziness. And to be honest, <laughs> I was glad. Do you know what? It's one thing the craziness, but then when you haven't got bikes and people are in constantly looking for bikes, that's hard work as well. You know, it so it's, um, yeah, it's uh, no look. It was uh, it was all great and. Uh, don't regret it and I don't like people ask me to regret closing and I don't I don't to be honest I think yeah um things have changed and things have moved on and unless you're in a really prominent area where there's lots of mountain bikers which there is around here but they're in a lot of times passing through if that makes sense you know yes yes you know when the trail center opened I thought would be doing great but people were just driving past or they were panicking looking for a tire because they'd ripped one or a helmet because they'd forgotten one you know everybody excuse me they have their bike and they have their kit when they're going to the the trails so mm-hmm. yeah and it's a hard old industry you know i think a lot of people when they see bikes for sale at you know three four five grand they think the shop owner's making two or three grand off those things but it ain't like that no it's far from it yeah we yeah. got a lot of that you know it was uh and again, like there was even times, you know, I would say somebody up for a bike and they'd say, right, thanks. And I would go, look, it's here. It's, you know, I can match any price on the internet. And uh, a lot of times, especially with Specialized, they were really strict about internet companies not discounting bikes. Mm-hmm. But people just got it into their heads. Like there's numerous times people would go, no, it's okay. And just walk out. And uh-huh. you're sort of left going, what, you know what have I done wrong or what have I done you know it's uh so it um yeah it was tough but um well a great yeah, experience it was yeah there was great times and you know I met a lot of people who I'm still really friendly with and that's a massive part of it too and you know we we had great years there we were we had our team you know we had team green bikes and we helped out a lot of young people and um, you know, those are great experiences as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Do you think um, getting into the business side of it and making it your your income and your living, did it put you off the bike scene at all or the whole thing, you know, or did it make, make you keener to be more involved? Uh, like, I remember saying at the start, if it, if it got in the way of my cycling, then, uh, you know, I didn't want to do that. That wasn't... I didn't get into it to make money, to be honest. Yes, I wanted to make a living, but I was never going into it to, you know, clean up and become uh, a millionaire by any means. You know, it, mm-hmm. was, it was funding a lifestyle, really. Um, and that was, you know, that's basically what it was for a long time. And um, But no, when I left, like, yeah, it's funny, you're, you're nearly embarrassed because you're you know, you feel like you've failed, you know, you can't really look mm-hmm, at people who said you, you've closed the shop and everything. So it was probably a bit quiet for a while. Um, but it certainly didn't stop me racing or anything, you know, so, um, and I still rode my bike. In fact, it's still the best medicine for any, any <laughs> uh, problems in your life. Of course, of course. Um, like you're, you're still racing and you're still competing, aren't you? Yes, well, I try to, yeah. <laughs> like, how have you seen that whole thing change? Like, have you seen lots of new blood come into it? Yeah, I mean, that's unreal, isn't it? Like, the amount of people, um, especially in Juro, you know, you can see 
you can see why it's such a popular sport. You've got mm-hmm. everybody from the people who are literally there having a bit of fun riding their bikes the same way they do on the weekend, and they're just trying to beat their mates. And then you have the guys that want to be the next EWS, you know, um, rider from from Ireland, you know. So yeah. it's and it's great that it's it's laid out in such a way that you can mix with those people. You know, you could be riding up the the fire road and be chatting to. Keelan or Greg, you know, one weekend and then they're away the next weekend and it's the same, you know, you're chatting to people that are just doing it for a bit of a laugh and some of them are smoking and pushing the bike up the hill, but they're <laughs> they're probably smiling more than anybody. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, like back in the day when you were racing and competing against Glenn and Roscoe and those guys, like what way did you guys do it? Did you guys go to the gym? Did you do all that all, when you were off the bike? Did you just take it seriously like that? Or was it more a lifestyle thing and the pub was the gym type thing? I, I'd say when I was road racing and cross country, there was there was a very much a sort of a training mindset. Um, even now, I, I don't think it's what it is now. You know, it's not as, it wasn't as scientific or, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you basically went out on the road and did a load of road miles. And um, I do remember going to the gym one of the years I was downhilling, but I hadn't been in the gym prior to that, to be honest. Um, and now it seems to be, you know, a prerequisite. You have to go to the gym, which is probably fair enough, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, there was definitely, like, a, I also remember going to downhill races, practicing on the Saturday, going out on the Saturday night and going to a nightclub, getting full, and then still racing on the Sunday. So there was a good mixture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I find it quite interesting because um, I've been involved in the surf industry for a long time, and I've had a couple of really good chats with Kelly Slayer. Okay. And, yeah, and like, what a legend. But, you know, back in the day when he came into the pro circuit at 19, he's he was a young, he's a young... I think he's still maybe the youngest ever surf, you know, champion, world champion. Yeah. Um, but when he came into it, he was so focused and so competitive. And at that time in that industry, it was a big kind of party scene. You know what I mean? The guys would go and surf and compete and then it would be crazy parties and everything that goes with that. But he was very different and that he didn't do that whole thing. He went and kind of for a long time secretly would have trained and done other stuff, yeah. you know, when these guys were out partying and staying out to three and four in the morning and then competing at seven the next day, you know, he had his eight or 10 hours sleep, that, that kind of thing. Do you think, like, do you think it happened back then? Do you think there was guys at Glenn and all sneaking off and secretly going to the gym and all, do you think that happened? Hey, I'd say to an extent there was like, I know, uh, again, this is like when I was, when I was really focused on cross country, I would say I probably overdid it. And that was, ha- <clears throat> excuse me, half the time I would go to downhill because I had sickened myself mm-hmm. of training from cross country. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would nearly take the downhill as a bit of a party. But uh, yeah, I don't think you get to, to that level without doing something, you know. Um, now, on the same hand, the guys would party hard as well, you know, but I think the guys at the top definitely were, you know, you have to be doing something. It's, yeah. um, it can't all be just um, drinking and yeah, I'm the fastest down the hill just on 
pure yeah. talent, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. It, that's interesting because Kelly Slater also said to me, he said, when you get to high level, that higher level in anything, it normally comes down to uh, physical strength and mental strength. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's, you know. again, in the downhill, I always struggled with the race runs. Like, you know, you would practice and you'd have a bit of fun. And you see, as soon as the, the beeps would go, <laughs> you just, every beep would just make me more tense. And then you'd do the work run of the weekend and go home in bad form. You know? <laughs> yeah. Every beat, your stress level goes up ten or fifteen percent. Yeah. yeah, you go into the first corner three times harder than you have all weekend. <laughs> blow up the turn and then try and paddle out of it and can't get clipped back in. And oh yeah, so so many races driving home, shouting at myself in the car. Yeah, yeah, classic. I suppose it's that kind of thing, isn't it? It's that kind of being focused but being relaxed. Absolutely. If you can get that balance, you're maybe on to a winner, you know. That's it, isn't it? Uh, I think with the enduro, for me, a massive part of it, I was telling myself, you know, you can take the first one nice, well, maybe not steady, but just, you know, don't go mad. You've got five or six more stages, and that was a revelation for me. You could sort of relax, and then yes. second yes. stage you go, right, uh, the first one went okay, just try and do that again, you know, and it, you're sort of telling yourself not to get too worked up. Mm-hmm. Um, now of course like if you're if you get a result at one then the next one you go into it going right if I rip the cranks off the back here <laughs> I'll definitely do better but that rarely rarely seems to work yeah that's interesting isn't it because it's funny the way certain people are switched on like that they like the enduro thing because they don't like that okay I've got one run and that's it it's all in this one run and then you flip the coin and other people prefer that. They prefer that tension of being at the top saying, right, this is it. I've got one run to do this thing. You know, isn't that weird? Yeah, yeah, I could never. I think that's, I always preferred cross country because it was like, right up an hour and a half here to do, you know, <laughs> just settle in, you know. Uh, oh, I could never, I could never handle the one run thing. Really struggled with it. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. Like, I'm sure you see a lot of the young guys out now riding bikes and stuff and you see them down around the gap and all there and the talent level is unbelievable. Like, what do you think, as far as young guys coming out of the Irish scene, what do you think the future holds for those young boys? And oh, girls, like, and girls, I should say. Like, you know, you can see it. Uh, even when Greg started doing well, it, it kind of encourages everybody coming behind, you know, that it's possible, you know, and mm. it's the same... You saw it back when Steve Pete was winning downhill World Cups. There was a, you know, a massive wave of British riders came after him, and it does like it. It just, I think it, even if it's subconscious, it lets people mm-hmm. know that it's it's possible, and why not? You know, um, it makes it more achievable. And yeah. like Greg and Keelan and a few of the boys, um, and then you see the likes of Harry Byrne and those boys coming up, and you know, there's younger boys at the Gap watching them, as you say, and they have the gap and things that we never had, you know, and mm-hmm. even Greg never had those. And like, you can see that those young fellas at the gap, they're just lapping out these jumps and stuff. And the skills are just unreal, unbelievable. Like mm-hmm. I've been, like I've been down there myself. I would happily admit jumping was never my thing. And 
I love going down to the gap because it's so well laid out. You can build up, you know, you can do a couple of reds and then, you know, build your way up to doing a few jumps. And you come away thinking you've progressed, you know, but if you were living there or close by, it must be phenomenal, you know. Yeah, yeah. And there's quite a lot. Like, I was surprised how many young guys were out there, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's a massive scene in Wicklow, you know, and then, sure, it's not too far away from a number of other places as well yeah. and like even from here you know when you do the drive you sort of go i must do that more often it's not that bad you know yeah um so like and even the fact that um mega mission and stuff in kilbrony got a, a rejig there as well is, is massive you know i used to avoid riding it because it was terrifying but now it's actually a bit of fun you know they've, they've reworked it so that's um mm-hmm. that's great too you know yeah you've been on it since have you Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's much, yeah. much better. Yeah. Class, class. Okay. Now, let's chat Specialized because you're a, you're a brand ambassador now for the Specialized guys. <laughs> yeah, that sounds weird even hearing it out loud. But, yeah, that is, <laughs> um, that is unreal. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I went down there a couple of months ago because um, I had been studying to be uh, a coach and basically walked in. And I got chatting to uh, the manager there, Paddy. Told him what I was up to, and basically I said, "When I get the coaching thing, I have a a job lined up with a guy who's fairly prominent. And um, what do you think about doing a sort of a?" And he said, "Brand ambassador." I said, "Yeah, absolutely." And we just were both on the same page, and uh, it worked out great. So. I'm still actually in shock, um, having helped out a number of people and given them bikes over the years. It's lovely to actually have walked away from there the other day with a bike. <laughs> so it's fantastic. Yes, yes. grand, grand. Um, like how, you know, was it still quite laid back or was it, you know, sign on the dotted line kind of stuff? You know, how, how was that? Um, well, it's fairly laid back, but I had the sign, basically I had the sign of things saying that I have the bike and I will bring it back. That's, <laughs> that's the long and short of it. So, yeah, um, yeah, I don't blame them for that. It, uh, it, uh, it'd be an easy one to just sort of vanish off to Australia with or something, I suppose. Totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you get a choice of bikes or were they wanting you to ride certain bikes? No, no. They said, what, what do you want? And uh, I, I I kind of went right. Well, I'm not going to say S works because. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was one bike, uh, so I uh, I asked for a, a Turbo Levo and e-bike, um, just with the coaching and everything. I thought that would be uh, a good choice, um, and it is uh, has proven so. It's a superb machine. It okay. really is. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you did mention before we started to record that you you were getting a stump jumper. Yes, uh, I'll I'll be getting a deal on that. And they're not just handing out bikes willy nilly, yeah. just in case everybody's thinking they're going to go down to specialised. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, yeah, like I'm 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 still going to race the you know the enduros and stuff. So um, yeah, I have a stump jumper uh, hopefully coming as well. Happy days, and like, do they ask anything from you as an ambassador? You know, is it? quite an intense thing do you have to have so many posts a week do you have to be on the social thing like how does that work out with them uh, again that was pretty laid back i'm sure everybody that goes in you know it's not going to be the same i think 
I was lucky enough to kind of have met Paddy before and he knew me from the shop and knew basically I had dealt with Specialized for, you mm-hmm. know, 15 years and I'd helped out a new, you know, a number of people myself sponsorship wise. So I would say that gave me a, a leg up, to be honest. But um, no, just um, there was no sort of weekly stipulation or monthly sort mm-hmm. of stipulation. So, um, you know, like I went down, I sort of knew what I was going to say and I, uh, promised Earth, Moon and Stars, of course. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're not just going to give bikes out to everybody, I hope. <laughs> Yes, yes. But it's nice to have that relationship and it's nice for it to be quite relaxed, I think. And it kind of works with the scene too. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think, especially for me, I was never a big social media person. Um, but with the, with the coaching thing, I'm going to have to step it up a bit. So mm-hmm. um, that was kind of what I had promised them, you know, that uh, it was to grow my own uh, coaching. Um, and with, you know, Along with that, I'd be sort of uh, advertising them, I suppose. So yeah, um, yeah, worked out, worked out for both of us. I hope. Yeah, it's a win-win. Excellent. Now let's chat a little bit then about the coaching thing. So, was that something you had kind of always wanted to do, or was it something you'd planned to do after closing the store? How did you How did you think about all that stuff? Uh, yeah, it's something I always I really enjoyed. I, I loved. I love knowing about all the, you know, the numbers and um, I, I think racing wise, I always wondered, you know, just what you were talking about earlier, what, you know, what are they doing that I'm not? That was always yeah. a thing for me, you know, and I always had an interest in coaching and, um, you know, back a number of years ago in the cross country days, I, I did have a coach, uh, a couple of coaches over the uh, the course of a few years, but um yeah, it always interested me, and to be honest, it was lockdown. Um, I think it was the second lockdown, so I contacted uh, Rob Bordell. Um, he was on um, Pink Bike. Uh, he is the coach for... Uh, oh, I can't believe I've forgotten his name. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Ben Cathro. Ben oh, okay, okay, okay. So he, he was coaching Ben Cathro for the privateer thing, you know, he was doing mm-hmm. his comeback to the downhill mm-hmm. racing and so I had seen him on that and I Rab then had done uh, a fastest time on the West Highland Way, so he had had that video out and I kinda recognised him and realised I had raced against him in Scotland at Cyclocross um one year so I just reached out to him in, in lockdown I was kind of to be honest I was a bit lost without racing and mm-hmm. I reached out to him and said what about a bit of coaching I just need a bit of focus and he was absolutely and through that so basically I just got a coaching um, program off him and it was great because it gave me a bit of focus and I knew I was doing something useful for when the racing did start again and through that basically we became uh friendly and i had i was basically asking him about coaching more and more and um said you know i was i was really interested in it he said well why don't you do the course and eventually said to me look my business is expanding 
what do you think about coming on as a as a coach with me? And I, I nearly jumped down his throat, to be honest. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but I just think, you know, because he knew through talking to me, the experience was there and everything. And once, basically, once I got the the qualification, um, it was all go, you know. So um, that was fantastic. It all kind of fell into place from there. Happy days. And what kind of coaching do you do, Connor? Tell us a little bit about it, about the structure. Yeah, so um, it's mostly uh, like the fitness coaching. So um, like I will do, I have been doing one-to-one skills coaching. I know there's a lot of guys doing that that are probably pretty well known, Roscoe and Tommy Mag and Glenn and the likes of that. So mm-hmm. uh, I um, the, the fitness side was always what I was interested in. So I am basically, I have people that I'll do each week I'll do a, a program for them on a on an app called Training Picks. So each day I have their training laid out, um, which will include, you know, it's this is gonna be very general because everybody's different. That's the that's yeah. the whole point of it. Um, okay. you know, uh, like a bit of yoga, some swift sessions, maybe a bit of weights, and then a spin at the weekend, but it's all structured and it's all the whole idea is that it's planned out towards their goals for next year for the, the mm-hmm. season so that you're yeah. building towards that you know a lot of people will just train willy-nilly if you know what i mean that like yes. i've done it myself where you just you're kind of plodding along not really knowing what you're doing and so these people basically contact you and say look i want i want a bit of structure and like a couple of them have no interest in racing they just want to maximize their time um so they've come to us and basically asked for a training program, you know. So um, it's, as I say, a weekly. Well, it's it's monthly, essentially, and um, so they're getting regular updates. We we can see then on the app every time they do uh, one of their workouts, we can see all the data, so heart rate and everything, if they have wow. heart rate monitors and everything. So then you can see how they are reacting to each session and adjust the program as you go through it, you know, so it is, it's, I, I really, I love looking at all the numbers and everything. Yeah. So it's really wow. fascinating. Well, that's really involved actually, because normally stuff like that, you just get a program and then you're kind of, you just follow it, but you could be lying about half the stuff you tell. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Um, no, like this is the thing. There are, a lot of online programs there and you know what it's better than no plan at all i think yeah a lot of people you know with, with no plan you're just gonna achieve the same thing every year if you're doing roughly the same thing so this is the, you know uh, i'm speaking to these people every week and uh, as i say seeing their sessions uh, you know that day i'll get a, an email saying such and such has completed the session i can open it and see their heart rate, their power, and everything as they're reacting to the session, and it um, it just means you can basically do a progressive uh, build towards their goals, you know, and it's uh, it's pretty effective, you know, it, it really is. So um, like it's been proven, you know, it's all proven stuff. That's why I did the course, you know, so that you know what you're doing to to help these people achieve their goals, you know. Yeah. And like, what kind of clients are you getting? I know it's pretty new for you, but 
what kind of clients do you expect to get? Like, is it just across the board, like from weekend warriors to guys wanting to make a career out of this? Like, uh, well, so, yeah. Again, I'm only at it a month, um, but I've yeah, have a good few clients already now. Oh. As I say, a couple of them are no interest in racing. Um, there's a lady there just wants to. She just loves the the, the sort of structure. You know, she mm-hmm. loves the, having it laid out. They. You know, they open their phone and the, the training session is there and you can actually uh, upload it onto Zwift. So Zwift will automatically uh, change uh, its resistance for you when the, the session is uploaded. So it, it literally takes all the guesswork out of it. Wow. Um, and then there's another guy wants to do the EWS in Scotland next year. So... You know, it's two completely mm. different sides of the coin, but uh, and different, you know, different programs to achieve that. But uh, it's great. I, I really, it's lovely to talk to people who are keen and motivated and are coming to you for advice. It's a lovely, it's a lovely thing to be doing. I have to say. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose you can fit those programs around their routine, their daily routine, their work schedules, all that type of stuff. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's one of the first things you do, again, because it's not an online, you know, cut and paste job. One of the first things we do is get them to fill in a survey that uh, basically their experience and their goals and the time they have available. And then you work to that, you know, there's no point in, you know, say two 30 year olds, one's been racing for 10 years one is brand new to it you know you're not going to give them both the same thing to do so you have to allow for the level of experience and um again you know what they're used to doing as well so Mm -hmm. um, so you're not uh giving them too much as well that's the last thing you want to do like it's funny stuff like that because i think this is me just talking personally everybody's different obviously but you see if i go or if I if I pay for a gym membership, mm-hmm. I'm more likely to go. Yeah. Because I pay for the thing. Whereas if it was free, I probably wouldn't be there half the time. <laughs> well, that's it. But imagine when you get up in the morning, you have a, a wee thing on your phone, a notification telling you exactly what you're to do today to be fitter for next week. You know what I mean? That's, Hi, that's, that's the level we're at, you know, and that's, not well it, it can be daily if you want but we try to you know uh, it's a bit of everything you have to have a bit of rest in there too but that's again you know some mornings you'll wake up and it'll say rest and you might go thank god for that <laughs> do you not so, know to the morning you wake up well no you can look at it but <laughs> the, the, the app will actually send you notifications every day to sort of say you know here's what you're doing today you know so it is uh it's fantastic like that's yeah. um it really is and i think a lot of people are missing out you know they're i've done it myself you know i've done the sort of i'll wing it and see what happens um whereas if you have some sort of plan you know i'm not saying everybody needs coaching but if you have a plan and you know you sort of work back from the races you're you're aiming to do well at next year and you work back from that with some kind of structure Mm. um you know it just it'll change a lot of a lot of things for you you know there's a lot of people and they're good racers a lot of them you know i know guys that just do the same thing every year that 
do pretty well and then take a couple of weeks off and then just decide, right, I'm going to go flat out <laughs> right Aye. from now and straight back into doing the exact same thing. And you're going, what if you do exactly the same thing, how are you going to do, you know, how are you expecting different results from last year? So Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. No, very interesting. Um, do you, does anybody, do you need specialised equipment or anything like that or? Um, well, you can, you can get by with a heart rate monitor. Um, most people nowadays that are coming looking for coaching are aware of power meters or most of them even have power meters now, or at least if you're doing Zwift sessions, that has power um, so that you can be really specific because everybody yes. Has different power outputs and then you're matching it to the heart rate and everything to see how they're reacting so it just makes it far more uh specific and individual for the mm-hmm. for the client you know yeah yeah but is it something you don't i take it need to go out and spend thousands of pounds to get this thing set up no no not at all right. like i'd say most people probably nowadays have well I don't know, but I know a lot of people have Zwift now, and mm-hmm. I know a lot of people have heart rate monitors, and half of them probably don't even look at them. They just have it <laughs> sitting on their bars beeping. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, why not use it, you know? I totally, totally. Um, can you talk money with us, or is it too specific a thing? Uh, well, it's, it's pretty specific, depending on what you're after. I mean, yeah. there are six-week programs and stuff if you're not willing to commit to um like again the the coaching the personal coaching is 30-day money-back guarantee uh if you don't think it's for you and you can leave at any time you know there's no it's not an annual sign up or anything but yeah um yeah it's i don't want to say money on the on the pod but uh some people would probably go my god but others who are buying thousand pound forks and two thousand pound carbon wheel sets might be better off getting a bit of coaching than spending yes. that sort of money on those things, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, it's that old adage, isn't it? You know, if you had five hundred quid to make you faster on the bike, what's the best thing to buy? And it's coaching yeah. lessons, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I'm just uh, conscious of our time here, Connor. I don't want to take up any more of your evening. But um, like, have you any anything you can tell us you've planned for in the future, or any good bike trips you're going on, or anything like that? Or, uh, well, I'd love to say I have a load of trips planned, but you know, with COVID, that's yeah. fairly difficult. Um, I'd love to go to. Um, I'd love to go over to um, that uh, AWS and Tweed Valley myself. Now I didn't get to go this year mm-hmm. and couple of buddies and myself went over there a few weeks ago and the trails over there are just unbelievable um really? unbelievable yeah so even if i don't get to go to the ews i would like to go back there and hopefully to the sun at some stage it's been far too long since i've been away on a, a sun yeah. holiday so uh, but yeah i still want to just um want to keep racing away and hopefully there'll be a bit more racing next year uh, both cross country and enduro hopefully we get full calendars that would be yeah. nice yeah yeah totally well i see the vitus stuffs the dates are out already so oh yes i see that yeah i'm looking happy. forward to seeing what where we're going yes for sure aye that's right yeah yeah definitely um and i was looking at your results earlier there and 
man, you have a clatter of really good results there over the last couple of years. <laughs> like, so there's a lot of there's a lot of seconds to a certain. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I suppose Glenn's in your category, is he? Yes, yes, I'm afraid so. Well, on my on my defence, there's a number of those were done without any practice uh, a couple of years ago. I know I finished second to him a few times, and I didn't even get practice, and so I'll uh, I'll, uh, I'll just put that in there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you can't beat that man. He's got some kind of voodoo, black magic stuff going on. You can't, you know. Oh, he sold his soul. That that kind of yeah. So. <laughs> Any time I, any time you know the race scenes on, you open up Instagram. He's standing in the freaking middle of the podium with another gold yeah. medal. Like, man's a legend, yeah. legend. He is indeed. Happy days. Well, that's Connor. It's been an absolute blast chatting to you, man. I love, I love chatting to guys that have been in the scene for a good while, and because uh, it's always so interesting just to hear how things have changed and how, you know, biking has stayed a part of your life over the years. Because you know, I, I think biking's like that. There's certain sports like that that if you do get into it and it kind of bites you in the ass, you just you never leave. You're always involved somewhere or another. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Uh, my poor children know all about that. So <laughs> yeah, no, it's I, I I don't know where I'd be without it. I, I just love mountain biking. I love bikes. Yeah, I really they're, they're fantastic. Aye, good stuff. Well, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your stories with us, man. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Gareth. Thanks very you're, much. You're more than welcome, dude. And listen, good luck with the coaching stuff and all. I'm going to look more into it. Um, I do need somebody to kick my butt as far as that stuff goes, to be honest. <laughs> you know, No problem. Uh, you know where to go. <laughs> aye, totally. I know, who to, I know who to call. But here, That's thanks it. again, bro. Have a good evening and hopefully we'll see you in the trails at some stage, yeah? Hope so. Thanks. That's our app for episode 211, folks. I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you enjoyed the chat with Connor. Like, he's a great guy. I love going back and listening to the stories about how guys get involved in the bike scene around them times, and how it spawned, like, so many good riders, like Roscoe, Glenn, all the guys, you know. And it's also helped the younger fellas like Caelan, and all those young pros that are coming up now. Obviously, those guys set the scene for a lot of this, and we have them to thank for a lot of this so it's always a pleasure to get somebody like Connor on the podcast and find out a little bit more about those days now if you want to know a little bit more about Connor simply visit the show notes you'll find them at mtb-tribe.com you'll find links to Wardell coaching there you'll find links to Connor's Instagram stuff like that so good good easy links for you guys to hit up and get to them full quickly now, if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to show your support, the best way is simply by subscribing, rating us on whatever podcast platform you listen to your shows on. Every one of your ratings helps spread the good word about the show to more people and we'll get more people listening to the podcast. Now, you can also visit us online. We have a website, mtb-tribe.com, where you can find the complete bike catalogue, listen and download every show from there for free. You can also subscribe there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the show so you don't forget about it. If you want to get involved in socials, you'll find me at MTB Tribe on Instagram and Facebook. Or if you want to get in contact with me personally, the best way is the old simple email. You'll find me at info at mtb-tribe.com. Just another thank you to Alta for sponsoring this episode. Go check them out, ridealta.com, or you'll find them 
on socials, ride.alta. The stuff those guys have got coming in the pipeline is very exciting, and I know the robes that they have for sale now will definitely keep you warm, dry, and away from the elements when you're getting changed before and after your bike ride. So that's it for this week, folks. I hope you all had a great Christmas, and I hope the new year is filled with your biking dreams and maybe you did get that new bike below the tree there's not many of them out there at the minute so you'd be one of the very lucky ones so until next time guys as always get the bikes out hit the trails and stay MTV stoked